When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where unfortunately we have to dissect another Everton defeat. The Blues lost 1-0 to Leeds United at Goodison Park on Saturday, thanks to a second half strike from Rafinha, as Carl Antonio's side were made to pay for some missed chances across the 90 minutes. I'm your host, Adam Jones, joined by Dave Prentice, Chris Beasley and Gav Buckland to talk about the game. And uh, we'll jump straight in with Dave. What a strange match that proved to be. Eh? Yeah, we were just briefly discussing it before we went live here. And it, it, was, it was a strange game. I totally understand the frustration and the upset amongst uh, a large proportion of the Everson support base. Uh, a lot of uh, harsh words were spoken uh, on Saturday night. And I understand that, but... I didn't think it was, you know, that bad. I mean, it was frustrating. It was disappointing. Um, and the big concern for me is the fact that we still don't look like being able to keep clean sheets. I mean, defensively, we were poor again. I know there's only one goal scored, but, you know, Leeds could quite comfortably have had several. Uh, but we created chances on another day. We just scored two or three goals. VAR, we're not going to go down that road. But, you know, so two goals disallowed, you know, so by the video assistant referee. So, you know, it, it was frustrating. Uh, the issue for me, James Rodriguez, uh, when teams are able to nullify his influence, which they seem to be doing more effectively at the moment, we rely so heavily on the other flank, uh, Richarlison and Lucas Digne. And obviously with Digne not being there, that, that is something that you know we haven't overcome just yet. And then, like I say, defensively, we've got to get the defensive kind of things right. And we haven't at the moment. And that is the big concern for me. But it wasn't as bad and as wretched as some people were saying. It was disappointing, sure. It was frustrating. But let's put it into some kind of perspective. You know, Leeds are okay. As we said on Friday, it was going to be a tough game. Just frustrating. You know, know, the things are almost, you know, so right in some areas of the pitch. And we've just got to be patient and keep at it. You know, we're still very much a work in progress. Mm. We'll talk a little bit more about James Rodriguez in this system in a little while. But Chris, I saw a lot of people describing the game as a game of fine margins, which unfortunately Everton just fell on the wrong side of. Uh, what, what did you make of it? Yeah, it was. It wasn't. Carlo uh, Ancelotti himself said, didn't he, that he he'd feared all along that um, it would be first goal is the winner almost, even though it could have been a very high scoring um, encounter both sides. Um, Creating uh, lots of chances, uh, yeah. It, 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 I suppose in isolation, like they said, they, they, it wasn't a wretched display or, or awful result. And I, it was, it was one of those things where you, you know, it, it took a, you know a moment of brilliance, despite all those um, great chances that were fashioned to actually go and win the game. It's just, just concerning the. Like say the the trend of the way things have been the last few weeks ever since the derby really like we said that James Rodriguez just hasn't been the same since he picked up that knock and if you nullify his creative threat and you know it is it is three defeats out of four now and as, as much as there were many plus points going forward at, at Fulham 
you know, that was a lot tougher than it than it needed to be. I'm just I'm just a bit um, concerned at the moment. I mean, hopefully, you know, it could all change again with a good result at, at Burnley. But I, I, it is quite concerning for me at the moment. Mm. As Bees mentions there, Gav, you know, it was a bit of a game of two halves against Fulham, wasn't it? And it, we were hoping in the build-up to this game that we'd see a bit more of the first half Everton than the second half Everton in this match against Leeds. But it was a bit, it was a bit more like the first, the, the second half against Fulham, really, wasn't it? Leeds were getting a number of chances. Two, two words, Luca D. Yeah. Um, first half against Fulham. Excellent. Two assists, was it? Yeah. Threat down their left side, giving something to think about. Um, on Saturday, we had quite a long, prolonged discussion about our options on the left on Friday's part, didn't we? Yeah. And I think we came to the conclusion playing a Roby out there would be a mistake. Um, <laughs> Both defensively and, and offensively. Premier said um, maybe Dalf at left back and maybe the back four. Uh, and I think that definitely contributed to, to the, if you're going to compare us against uh, Fulham in the first half and Saturday. There's no Lucas Dean on the pitch, you know, also made worse by the fact that, you know, obviously we've got no Seamus Coleman. Mm. So, yeah, um, but I haven't said that. I, I, there's been worse performances in the last month than that on Saturday. I can think of probably two off the top of my head. Um, so we have to be seeing that context. And also seeing the context, I thought Leeds were good, actually. I mean, it would have been a great game to go to, wouldn't it, by the way? It'd be the fallout of that game. Front of, yeah. into, I, I can't remember the last team to have 23 attempts on goal against us at Goodison. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest with you, one game, you know, probably, you know. But they, they were always a threat. I thought they were excellent. And, mm-hmm. But they give, you, they give you the problem, really, that I don't think many other teams in the top flight do. And also has to be seen in that context. Um, but yeah, it was it was disappointing, but I've seen worse, uh, to be honest with you. I've seen worse this season. I mean, we'll talk about that team selection for a little bit, Preno. Uh, as Gav rightly says, Alex Awobi was the man chosen to line up at left wing back, which was an interesting decision and probably proved to be the wrong one, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that was clearly made on the basis of his performance at Fulham on the opposite flank, you know, when he looked so impressive and, you know, given his his two-footed nature of his game, I suppose, you know, so Carlo thought that, you know, why shouldn't he be able to reproduce that on the opposite flank? But he didn't, you know, as ever throughout his Everton career, he's been inconsistent and uh, having had one really good performance, he, he stuck, from the word go, his passing was sloppy. And you thought, oh, we're going to see one of those performances. So I can understand why he made that choice. Uh, but equally, it was the wrong one, I think. I mean, <clears throat> conversely, Tom Davis did well, I thought, on the opposite flank. Uh, he got forward uh, quite often. You know, he got some, some quality on the ball. Um, and, you know, he looked OK. But unfortunately, that wasn't replicated. And the... the there are problems with the balance of the team at the moment. And, uh, you know, Carlo clearly needs to spend a bit of time looking at it um, before we can get it right. But those fullback, fullback is such a key role in modern football. And you know, they're specialists. I mean, Luca Dean and Seamus Coleman are specialists, you know, sort of in that in that role. And um, you take them out of the equation. And we haven't got like for like. And Konku probably could become that player in time. But, you know, he's a baby. He's like hardly played any kind of, you know, sort of senior football yet. Uh, so it would be a big ask to ask him to come in and do the kind of thing that Luca Dean does. So we are looking for other options. I suggested Delph last week as maybe you know a more conservative approach 
but the fact that he's played there, you know, for two full seasons effectively for Manchester City under Guardiola. But he chose not to. He went for Iwobi. It didn't work. Uh, you know, so Iwobi is fast running out of uh, running out of credit from some Evertonians because you just want to see him do it. You know, two or three games in succession, and once again he didn't, unfortunately. Mm. Well, Bees Prano mentions and Konku mm-hmm. there. You know, he was he was at Goodison Park. He was in his match gear, but uh, he wasn't in the squad. Uh, do you think his inclusion would have changed anything? Yeah, it'd have been a more natural option, was I mean. Who are we to, I suppose, doubt Carlo Ancelotti given his uh, stellar CV? I mean, and uh, I, um, was we, we were on the uh, anniversary of Sam Allardyce's appointment today. Mm. Um, oh, three years ago, talking like that. Um, <laughs> some, Sunday was Mike Walker's seventy-fifth birthday. Go and wash so, your mouth out. <laughs> so, so, have, so yeah, so so if you consider the managers that Heaven have had in the recent past and the not so recent past, but in uh, certainly three of our uh, collective memory, you know, how do you criticize someone like Carlo Ancelotti? But for me. He seemed to overcomplicate things with those decisions. Like you said, Nkonku would have been the natural option at left wing back. Um, John Joe Kenny hasn't played a, a right wing back the last couple of weeks when, you know, there's been, you know, a, a position supposedly crying out for him as the, the natural option. Like you said, Tom Davis, as has just been said, actually did well on the opposite flank and, you know, playing out, out of position. But yeah, it's just like, on the one hand, there seems more more natural options. I can understand where where he's gone for if he doesn't fancy a player, he's he's gone for somebody he feels he can he can trust. But it did seem to overcomplicate matters for me, and as we saw throughout the game and the substitutions that were made, it it didn't work. Mm. Gav, it seems to be the Carlo Ancelotti is choosing the experience, really, isn't he? And it, it felt a little bit to me like when we started that game against Leeds, it was a bit square pegs in round holes, especially with the wing backs in those roles. Yeah, yeah, you can. I, think, I, I thought I thought it'd be a bit harsh on a Wolby, to be honest with you. I think I would have kept him right wing back, having played mm-hmm. so well at Fulham, to be honest with you, then just resolved the left wing back position, you know, in, in, in its own way. Uh, I think by moving him over, you created two problems when only one really existed, you know. Um, so I think that's what it's, I think it was unfair on, maybe a little bit unfair on a Wolby. I think it was a difficult role to come into. Um, I would, I could have understood keeping a Wobie wide, wide right and putting Davis in wide left. To be honest with you, mm. uh, as a as, as a better way of going about things, uh, yeah. Well, this is what you get. This one of the problems with Carlo is that yeah, he does have to. I won't say mistrust, but it's not maybe not necessarily his biggest strength as a manager. And what, what you know, Chris has spoken about his stellar CV. Um, Developing young talent is maybe not necessarily while well, within the first team is not necessarily is is his greatest gift. But you could say that about a lot of managers, couldn't you? Really, um, yeah. I might ever need that at the moment. It is another thing. Um, to be fair, yeah, but I just think just just think there was too many square pegs and round holes. I felt on 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 Saturday and. When I look at it again, maybe like a flat back four and even the flat four in midfield might have been a better better option to, for us to be fair because we just never got to grips at Leeds and Leeds' formation did. We ended up playing Leeds' type of game. Yeah. Didn't we? Yeah. Which I don't think uh don't think there's any favours. Mm. And I think we've we've still got that problem down the left hand side of the pitch, really, haven't we? I mean Fabian Delft was introduced in the second half, but 
I don't think he really fared much better than Alchawobi once he was brought onto the pitch. Well, it felt like, yeah, it's difficult to come into that type of game, isn't it? And then source of shine, but just gives us an option. I'm kind of mentioned on Friday, and the more I felt of watching the game on Saturday, I thought that that should have been the option that was played as play back for with with, with Delph as, as as left left wing, uh, you know, left left back. I mean, but what it shows once again is said this on Friday. It shows about weaknesses, a complete absence of senior left-footed players in the squad. Mm. I mean, we've got Delph, Rodriguez, and Kinku. He's, he's put on his right foot, isn't he? Brandweight and that's in. So of them, yeah. only two are senior players, and Delph's on the periphery. Yeah. So, especially when you're playing with a flat back today, you know, with a back back today, you want your left-sided centre-halves to be left-footed. And um, I just think that that's a major weakness in the squad that needs addressing because, as we as we seen on Saturday, it just we end up like well, square square by pegs in the left left peg hole, as they say, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and as you mentioned before, Preno, I thought on the opposite flank, Tom Davis actually did quite well. I thought he gave a decent count for himself in a position yeah. that he's quite unfamiliar with, but. You know, it, it goes back to a question that we asked after the Fulham game as well. Where does that leave John Joe Kenny? Because Carlo Ancelotti said before the game that while he wasn't 100% fit, he was available for this game at the weekend. Now, whether Kenny may, might have picked up another problem before the match, we don't know. But he wasn't in the squad and Tom Davis is getting picked ahead of him in a role that you'd think that Kenny should be playing, really. To, to, to me, it looks quite clear. And I might be being a little bit too simplistic about this, but it appears that... Carlo doesn't really fancy him. Um, you know, he's he, he's he played him on a couple of occasions and then jettisoned him very, very quickly. And it suggests that, you know, he believes there are better options elsewhere in the squad. Um, I hope that's not the case, you know, regarding all the selections, because Anthony Gordon is the other one that, you know, constantly seems to be being ignored uh, by the manager, despite bright cameos whenever he's played, admittedly, you know, in Carabao Cup ties, not Premier League games, although second half in Southampton, you know, so he, he was bright. So, yeah, it's like Carlo does seem to make decisions very, very quickly. And as Gavin mentioned earlier, he does seem to have more trust in experience rather than, you know, sort of youthful zest and impetuosity. I know Tom Davis could come into that youthful impetuosity category, but equally, he's got a fair bit of experience behind him. He's played a lot of senior football uh, since, you know, he made his debut against Man City all those years ago. Actually, no, it wasn't. It was the last game of the season against uh, Norwich, wasn't it? So he's played a lot of football. Uh, in that time, so yeah, he does seem to place a great deal of store in experience, you know, so rather than youngsters, you know, sort of learning on the job. But to answer the question, I think it, the outlook doesn't look bright uh, for John Joe Kenny, you know, otherwise, I think he would be getting more football than he is at the moment. Mm. Do you agree with that view, Bees? I mean, Kenny would have come back from his loan at Schalke this season and thinking to himself, Oh, I've had, I've had a decent time in the Bundesliga, I've proven that I can do it on a senior level, but. He's just not getting the chance under Ancelotti, is he? Yeah, right back was the, the one area most sort of up for grabs, as it were, in, in the summer, wasn't it? Um, as as great as Seamus Coleman has been, and Carlo said a lot of positive things about him this season, saying, you know, he's one of his greatest ever captains. He was asked how long he could go on for, because Coleman's just turned 32, and he, he mentioned 40 as a, as, a, <laughs> as a figure. I mean, some players who he's obviously had in Serie A can last that long. I'm not too sure in the Premier League. But yeah, Seamus Coleman, the wrong side of 30, certainly. Um, Gibraltar Sadibi was there on loan last season. They decided not to take that on, possibly with a post 
coronavirus market wasn't seen as good good value. So, you know, John Joe Kenny, if you were to have brought in a new signing from the Bundesliga, said, hey, look, we've got this lad who's been first choice for Schalke. You know, he's done well last season in the Bundesliga, you know, in his early 20s. We'd all be very excited. But I suppose it's John Joe Kenny and, and we know him and obviously Carlo's seen him for the first time and it is almost anyone but John Joe Kenny at the moment. So, yeah, it doesn't look great for him. I mean, he could change his his mind, but I suppose as things stand at the moment, it's not looking particularly bright for him. Mm. I suppose, Gav, the, the big thing that Kenny does have in his in his locker is that Everton have got a, a huge amount of games coming up in December, haven't they? So if a chance is going to fall his way, you, you'd like to think that it probably would fall his way in this period. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, to be honest with the Kenny, the Kenny thing at the moment is got more chance of playing 4-3-3 four, four, three, three, hasn't he than in a 3-4-3 three, three, where you want your uh, wide right hand side right wing back to be able to be equally adept going forward is what they are defensively now obviously Luka Dean can do that um, Alex will be did to a certain degree on against Fulham uh, I don't think Coleman would be up to it I think as much as because of his fitness as much as anything else getting up and down for 90 minutes on that side of the on the side of the pitch is a big ask. Well, I was young, thinking to myself, young players, actually, it would would Coleman fit in as yeah. a third centre back rather than rather than the, the wing back when he comes back? Yeah, he's yeah. Done that, I think, at some point last season, maybe didn't he? Yeah, but maybe the height. We've got we've got all right for centre half, but I, I don't think Coleman fit fit, fit the profile is what you want for a, a right wing back. To be fair, and I don't think Kenny does because Kenny's pure, purely more of a defender, isn't he, than somebody to go forward. So. That's where it makes sense to play. Will be so. I won't. I won't be too concerned if I was Kenny thinking I'm not getting a game in three four three. I think I'd be more concerned if <coughs> that has happened this season where he's not been getting a game in four four two. Has he? But he played Godfrey. Out. I, mean, I don't know whether Kenny was injured at that time. Maybe maybe he's not getting a get game in four four two. Um, going forwards and as you say, we've got a run of games coming up and playing four four two. As and, and Kenny's not getting a game there because we're playing say Godfrey there or Tom Davis there or even a Warby there. Then I think that that's where is uh, that's where you've been knocking on the manager's door. Hmm. So Prano, this is now two games that Everton have played with their new three-four-three sort of system, yeah. and probably only forty-five minutes where they've looked actually quite good playing in that formation. Yeah. Would you would you stick with it going no. going forward, or would you try and switch it as soon as possible? No, no definitely not. Um, we saw some very very good football going forward against Fulham in the first forty-five minutes. Uh, but defensively, we, we looked open. Uh, it didn't resolve our defensive issues at all. Um, and Saturday, it, it was far from convincing as well. I just don't really see what it gives us. You know, if you if you've got Luca Dean and you've got Seamus Coleman, you know, start playing in those wide positions, flying forward and creating things. Well, yeah, okay, maybe persevere with us. But I just don't see what we get from it at the moment. Um, I've, I, I think, you know, he is overcomplicating the issue at the moment, Carlo. He seems to be, like, overthinking it a little. And, uh, you know, 4-3-3 was successful at the start of the season. Obviously, you know, some of the personnel from that have been taken out. But personally, I would prefer to see us go back to that and uh, just try and find, you know, sort of other options to play in the roles of the players who are missing at the moment. Because uh, from what I've seen on, you know, the brief evidence so far, it hasn't worked. And I don't see any potential for it to improve going forward. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think Preno mentioned it a little bit earlier, and I think one of the biggest things, in my opinion, about the 3-4-3 is the position of James Rodriguez. And I think, yeah. especially against Leeds, we were seeing him much more on the periphery than we've been used to since he's made his move to Goodison Park. And I think that really did affect how well Everton went forwards. Do you think do you think that he really fits into this three four three system or do you think he he'd, he'd be better off switching back to a four three three to get the best out of Hammer? That's the million dollar question with Hammers at the moment because to be fair, he he was playing really effectively in the four three three up to that point in the derby where obviously Virgil van Dyke went through him early. He was struggling after then and he's never really Got it back. Um, obviously, it's been mentioned. Maybe teams, maybe oppositions have found him out, found Everton out to a certain extent after those carefree early games of the season, where this like, oh, if we if we play Hamas Rodriguez in a certain way, we can nullify Everton's attack. But um, I'm, I'm not too sure that that's the case. I, I think it's just a, a case of him. He got hurt in that game. He's been playing half fit, and he just needs to to get his mojo back in in in, in many ways. And I suppose Carlo Ancelotti is the manager to do that. I, I don't know if the the change of formation is is good for Everton. Full stop, as Dave said. I mean, I've I've never really liked the free centre back. It's tend to be in the past forever, and it's been a five three two rather than a three four three when they've gone with three centre halves. But I just don't think, particularly in England. Um, footballers are, are natural in that position. They don't really know what they're doing. They're not comfortable in that because they don't play it on a regular basis. So, it, I mean, Walter Smith was a big advocate of it, wasn't he? He used to play it quite a lot at Everton. But I, I think going forward, um, Hammers Rodriguez, it, his particular role can can sort of reprise that, that early season role. It just it's, it's a case of how he teases that out of him at the moment. Mm. What's your thoughts on Hammers, Gav, in this system? Uh, what the what the lads have said, said really. Um, I'm just wondering if you were playing four three three, you'd still be definitely playing a similar role. So I just think it's down to t- teams have got countermeasures now, haven't they? How to play against us? And it was accent mate worsened on Saturday because you knew because of the problem on the left hand side of the pitch, like on the right hand side, you're maybe going to see see more of the ball. Um, regarding three at the back, I agree. Um, three, if you're playing three at the back, you've got to be like a mature defensive team, haven't you? You know, all the three centre halves need to know each game, their, their games inside out. And you think about it, Wolves, I know Wolves are slightly changed, but Wolves have played it for years, haven't they? Mm. You know, same three, three or four centre halves week in, week out, and it becomes a really well developed system. Uh, with us, where we're chopping the chains in the defence every week, um, we have four different centre-half partnerships or trios in the last four games, something like that, four or five matches, which is not great in itself. Yeah, and to probably. time to bring a three-man back, three-man defensive wall and that, in that environment isn't great. Uh, and, that, and we saw that on Saturday. I also think that on Saturday, I think sort of their goal came from that, I think, to be honest with you. Um, don't think Alan pushed back enough, did he, for, for their goal as well. 
was caught upfield and that the lads was able to pick up the ball and load the space where you want your defensive midfielder in that area. Um, so in terms of the, the coordination between the back three and the central defensive midfielder, it all has to be really well developed. And it, we're, not, we're not like that at all, are we, in terms of our maturity as a defensive unit at the moment? Because we're a little bit, Fenno says at the start, we're all over the place, are we, to a degree? Mm. Um, and uh, but I, you know, go back to four, 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 three. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Get the extra man from the fifth. <laughs> I was going to say four, three, three, four, four, yeah. two. And managed to get a hybrid of both. You know, go back to four, three, three, and four, four, two instead of three, four, three. From what I've seen so far. No, I, I saw some stats this morning about uh, Hamas Rodriguez, which were, were quite stark, to be honest. Um, the first five Premier League games he played this season, I think he made two. Well, I'm not. I think I'm reading it out here. I've not memory quite as good as that. Uh, he made 249 passes, creating 15 chances, of which three were assists, and he scored three goals. In the four games he's played since then. Uh, he's made 169 passes. He's created eight chances, so that's half as many, uh, and registered no assists and no goals. Now, okay, that coincides with, as Chris mentioned earlier, that Buffett he got from Virgil van Dijk, the fact he's been away on international duty in that time as well and come back and had to play games you know, after long flights back from South America. So there are contributory factors, but it is you know, a fairly stark um, contrast in what he was doing at the start of the season and what he's doing now. And, you know, taking all that into account, I also think that a lot of the, that is down to the fact that other teams have spotted how influential he was in the start of the season. And they are nullifying the space he can play in. You know, they're detailing players to close him down and to prevent him turning inside and, you know, sort of playing passes through. Uh, and so we need to find a way of overcoming that. And, you know, it's a, a massive emergency, really, because, you know, so with Luca Dean being taken out of the equation on the other flank, you know, the Rodriguez becomes even more important uh, in our creativity uh, terms. And, you know, we need to overcome it. And quite how you do that, you know, I certainly don't think it's going to do it by playing 3 4 3. Um, personally, I'd go back to forward the back, like I said, and, you know, sort of try and, I don't know, just persevere, you know, sort of try and see if you can play through this little little spell. Uh, and come back because the flashes at the weekend. I mean, that was a wonderful, wonderful goal he scored, which yeah. was unfortunately, you know, so ruled out by a you know Herd's Beth VAR decision. So there are flashes of it there, but I mean, we are, you know, what they say form is you know so temporary, classes permanent, and you know years classy. But there's a problem there clearly at the moment, and you know, so we need to do something to try and rectify it. Mm. Well, Chris, while Leeds might have got men around James Rodriguez at the weekend, he certainly didn't get men around Alan, who had a a very different performance than we've yeah. seen from him so far this season. But, you know, it, does it maybe prove that his best position is actually a little bit further forward than where we've been seeing him perhaps? Yeah, he certainly um, showed a new dimension to his game. I mean, he absolutely had that wonderful debut down at Tottenham and we all think, you know, he's going to be the classic anchorman, um, mm. your, your Lee Carsley-esque shield in front of the... The back four, and um, yeah, he certainly got a bit more in, in his locker to that. We saw oh, there's a couple of amazing, which was unfortunate for one of them. I thought when he mm. burst through, I thought, oh, he's going to score it. It was an incredible mm. burst, but uh, yeah, I think you'd put in your analysis piece, Adam. Um, you know, it, certainly if Jean Philippe Gaman ever gets um, back to full fitness, I mean, touch wood that he does because he's very much the mm. forgotten man. And you know, let's remember a 25 million pound signing in his own right there, uh, and certainly. Fills a more defence-minded um, role in the, the Everton midfield than 
the likes of uh, Andre Gomez or Gilfie Sigurdsson have been doing when they've been in there alongside Alan and Decore this season. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's what we're going to see more from from Alan. He, you know, he's not just the um, the anchor man, the defensive shield. He, he is paper, capable of uh, the dribble, of moving the ball upfield, and, um, and, and even having a bit of an, an, an effect in in the opposition final third. Mm. Well, Gav, this is something that we proposed a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, wasn't it? That you know, when once Gabamon does come back into the side, that yeah. Alan might get the chance to show a little bit more of what he was showing at Napoli. And, you know, I think we maybe got a, a little glimpse of that this weekend, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I'd say I thought he was a little bit, on, of course, on his feet for the goal, to be honest with you. But mm. apart from that, I thought he was uh, excellent. He was, uh, or don't you thought he was probably our man of the match? Uh, yeah. For me, not just because of his, you know, his defensive ability, um they can play up, but he was good on the ball as, as well. That would be one of the great gloves and goals if he scored that, wouldn't he? You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I, we said that more along. That I think it's pretty much established now that Alan is not a defensive midfielder, so to one sort of sitting in front of his head to halves. He's a bit more of a um, box to box say, or somebody should be playing further up the pitch. And then, and, and in many cases, that's been his weakness, hasn't it? In some respects, at Everton, because he has been caught up the pitch sometimes when he should be further back. Uh, but yeah, I have no I'd no problem if the um, you know if Gabamon comes in, gets fit, and shows he's a Premier League player, playing Alan in a bit more of a, a mobile uh, mobile role role uh, for us. I think he'd be really well suited to that. Mm. What did you make of him, Preno? Were you a little bit surprised at all by his performance? Not surprised, no, because you know we, we've seen already this season that those qualities, you know, so are present in his game. You know, he is capable of carrying the ball, um, you know, and running with it rather than just sitting deep and intercepting it. Uh, and it was heartening, you know. So it looked like you know th- th- there's more of a player there than you know, so maybe some people anticipated. Uh, but yeah, it was just frustrating that it wasn't mimicked across the pitch. You know, success stories were few and far between at the weekend. What I would like to say, Jordan Pickford, excellent. Really, really good performance. Normally, when we mention Jordan Pickford, it's because there's been a problem or there's been some kind of issue with his game. And maybe I'm just being a bit paranoid now, but even then, you, you, you hear little mentions of the goal that Leeds scored, you know, you know, went past Pickford and saying, well, yeah, of course, it was right in the corner. I've had discussions with people on social media really? about this all weekend. Like, really? some people really think that Pickford should have saved that, which I think oh, well, was just... Well, no, I, I disagree. You know, I agree with you, disagree with them, because, yeah, people are just looking for a stick to beating with too often. And when the opportunity is there to praise him, which was there at the weekend, because there were two or three very, very good saves, uh, we should be taking them. The only concern I've got is it was a busy performance from a busy afternoon, and he does tend to flourish on days like that. It's when he's got very little to do, and he's asked to do something, you know, so mid the second half, the things can go a bit wrong. But, you know, that's just, you know, so splitting hairs. He was very, very good. Uh, so, yeah, Alan was great, you know, so in terms of outfield and what he brought. But equally, I, I probably thought Jordan Pickford edged it in terms of man of the match. You don't want to hear that. You don't want your goalkeeper to be man of the match in a home game. <laughs> well, Beezer, I feel like I'm going to ask a question that's been asked for about the last year on this podcast. But is this a performance that Jordan Pickford can now take a bit of heart from? You know, he's, had a, he's, he's made a few good saves there. He can hopefully take a bit of confidence from this into into coming games, Carney. I hope so. Um, yeah, um, there's never been a question about his ability for me. Um, 
what you know as a as a shot stopper that classic phrase as a shot stopper and even with the with the ball at his feet um it's a great kicker of the ball which you need in a, in a modern goalkeeper but the the problem has been these 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 strange unforced errors these lapses of concentration these odd mistakes that have been creeping through. We know that he's got the ability there and um, he's had that from, from the start. It's when he either overcomplicates things, he turns what should be a, a big plus point is, is kicking into a weakness because he tries to overplay it or he makes some inexplicable blunder by dropping the ball when he's not under pressure or anything like that. So yeah, I, hope, I really do hope that he, he does that because as it's been pointed out, it's almost like it has become a stick to beat him with now um, I think people were mentioning with that goal, has he been beaten from outside the area more than other goal, any other goalkeeper or something? But uh, you could flip that round and say, well, they've had to be great strikes to beat in long wrist, distance um, strikes that nobody had a chance with. So, yeah, I do really hope because all, that's all he needs is a good, consistent run now. I mean, it was interesting, actually, with um, see uh, Losel on the bench rather than Olsen there. But, um, mm. yeah, um, if John Pickford just needs to... Just be a, a, a run of uneventful matches where it, it means that he's doing his job properly. Mm. The other side of the b- debate that I've been having this weekend, Gav, you know, they people have been saying to me that you know Jordan Pickford should be making those sorts of saves. You know, that's that's his job on the pitch. That that's what he's there to do. Now, I I personally think that some of those saves are absolutely world class, and you wouldn't find many goalkeepers in the world making yeah. those kind of saves. But do you think there's there is an argument to suggest that he should be do, doing those things? Well, that's what you paid whatever the fee was for him for a start, yeah. wasn't it? I think to be fair, as England number one keeper, you'd, you'd expect you'd, ex, you'd expect nothing less with all with all due respect. Uh, it, was, it was go and pick on Penno's point. Those are the type of games he flourishes, isn't he? When he's busy, I know we don't want to see as an Everton supporter. You go only busy, but when he has to concentrate for ninety minutes and be on his game, those are his type of. Performances when he tends to flourish, isn't it? I mean, as for conceding the goal, as I say, I'd put uh, Alan's favourite to sack back and Godfrey's challenges way ahead of Jordan's, uh, you know, inability to, to save the goal, uh, to be honest with you. I think um, sometimes you get beaten from outside the area, not because you're not you're not great at uh, saving long distance shots, because the defence has given the, 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 the player an opportunity to shoot in the first place. And I thought Godfrey should have done better. He had an opportunity to challenge and block and didn't. And then by the time he did, he was a little bit too late, wasn't he? And um, I, I, I blame I blame two other players before. I blame Pickford for, uh, if at all, uh, for, for, for Saturday night's uh, Saturday night's goal. That's what, and you've got to see in the context of thought. I mean, he got caught that once in the first half. No, the other, the, 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 the post, wasn't it? He was in a, bit, a little bit of no man's hands, wasn't he, for that? Mm. We got away with that, but he, he pulled off three or four uh, superb saves, didn't he? Uh, that kept mm. us in the game. I mean, if it wasn't for Jordan the first half, we could have probably gone in 3 0 down, couldn't we? Uh, to yeah. be fair. Mm. You know, so some, sometimes there's no pleasing people, is there? Really? <laughs> and Preno, just to finish off, another another point that me and Gav picked up on, on game day, to be honest, was uh, Mason Holgate was captain of the side, fourth different captain in four games for Everton. Uh, that can't really be a good thing, can it? No, it underlines an old theme that we've revisited many times on this podcast, that we don't have that many absolute, you know, obvious leaders uh, in the squad at the moment. I mean, when I was thinking about it on Friday and we thought about, you know, the, the likely lineup. And obviously, you know, so so many potential captains are missing, or actual captains are missing. You think, well, who could it be? 
And personally, Michael Keane, I thought, would be the obvious you know, sort of choice to go to. You know, he's an international. Uh, he's played a lot of Premier League football. You know, he plays in that area of the pitch, you know, so where captains tend to come from. And I was a little bit surprised that, you know, so he didn't have the armbands. Does that mean that uh, maybe he wouldn't react well to that level of pressure and scrutiny, which is maybe why Carla decided to spur him in? Uh, it, reflects, it does reflect well on Mason Holgate. But not on the squad as a whole. If we're having to make that many changes, you know, so often, if we've had so many different individuals wearing the armband, including, you know, Tom Davis, who like wore the armband at the age of like nineteen or twenty, was it? Uh, if yeah, there is clearly a lack of leadership, you know, so in that squad, that doesn't necessarily come with just wearing the armband. You can be a leader, you know, without wearing the armband. Alan, you know, looks like he could be a potential leader, but you know, he's still brand new to the club. He's only played like you know some ten games, so you know, you've got to let the guy, you know, so sort of, you know, bed in first before you give that level of responsibility to him. But yeah, it was another concern, really. You know, as if like losing one nil at home isn't enough. Uh, who who wears the armband on the day is is another issue. Um, if if Carlo believes that Mason Holgate is, is the right person to have that armband. Stick with him now, you know, so stick with him for the foreseeable. Let him just see if he grows into the role and whether the uh, responsibility does affect his game. Didn't at the weekend, I thought he was okay. Didn't think anything he did, you know, so, you know, uh, reflected adversely. So, uh, but to answer the question, no, it, it's not a good look. It, it does indicate that there are issues with the squad's makeup generally. Mm. But Bees, as Brenner rightly says, I don't think it reflects badly on Mason Holgate at all. I think, you know, we've picked up on it is increase of leadership qualities over the last mm -hmm. few months with him with him breaking into the side and keeping mm -hmm. his place and it was it was good to see him rewarded with the armband really wasn't it yeah i mean uh, kevin ratcliffe was only very young when he uh got the, the captaincy ended up being everton's most um, successful skipper um obviously bobby moore the, the world cup as well you know he wasn't uh, you know a veteran player at the time at all so definitely he's be he's, i think he's a vocal presence on the field and maybe that's what it, it was as opposed to Michael Keane because as Dave points out you know as a the senior centre-back I think he's about 27 now Keane isn't he you know obviously schooled at Manchester United before coming through at Burnley and Everton he, you would think it perhaps at face value a more natural option but yeah for Holgate's point of view yeah it does it shows you the uh, the importance that um, Carlo Ancelotti um, feels that he has in the squad he's been almost um, a mainstay in the side apart from when he's had his injury problems he's sort of easing him back in at the moment you know Carlo has called upon him on most occasions since he he came to the club so he's obviously he's a player that he thinks has got a, a great future and uh, we talked about the players who Carlo might not fancy it seems uh, the opposite with Mason Holgate he's, he's a player he very much trusts in yeah. yeah, you tend to find that when you revolve in the captaincy you know so frequently it almost seems to coincide with unsuccessful spells at the club I'm thinking like the one season that really stood out for me was, was it 97, 98 when Howard was in his third spell mm. and we had five different skippers during the course of that season, including, mm. would you believe it, Slavin Bilic handed it uh, for, for one game. Uh, Nick Barnby wore it, Don Hutchison, uh, Dave Watson started the season and was given to Gary Speed very quickly. It was just like, you know, so it rotated so frequently and that was like one of the worst seasons in living memory, that one. So it generally indicates that, you know, there's a problem generally if you happen to find a different leader every week. So, yeah, like I said earlier, if Mason Holgate is the man that Carlo trusts, give him a little run at it. You know, so give him a couple of months maybe or until Seamus Coleman returns and, uh, you know, so see how he does. Mm. Yeah, agree with that. Yeah, I think picking up on Plano's points, I think the start of last season had similar runs in me, but Dean, yeah, Davis, Sigurdsson, Coleman, all captain in the mm. team. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's it's not, not not never great when that happens. Yeah, I think uh, I thought it was strange that Mason was dropped last week and then cut Mook returns as captain. <laughs> it was a bit, 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 bit of an odd one. Uh, I, but if I was Mason, I'd be concentrating on trying to develop it to a Premier League class centre half, to be honest with you, rather than captaincy over the next uh, few months. Because I don't think he's, you know, he's still a lot to work, a lot of work to be done there. It's interesting that Keane's sort of being passed over as well, though, isn't it? Because he would be the obvious choice because of his seniority. But maybe Carlo thinks that. And that, I mean, we've sort of said this before on the, on the in the past, haven't we, on the pod, that Michael perhaps is somebody who, who, who needs to be uncomplicated. That's a way to just concentrate on what you're doing and don't have many distractions. Um, and um, I think the captaincy would just give another level of pressure that perhaps he doesn't need. Uh, based on what we've seen so far in his career. So it makes sense, really, from those out there on Saturday for Holgate to be the skipper. But Channel says it's not ideal when you swap on the captain's armband uh, around uh, every five minutes. Mm. Well, it'll be certainly interesting to see you take up the armband against Burnley. But we'll talk more about that game later in the week. That's all we've got time for today. Uh, don't forget, you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. And you can join in the conversation on Facebook and Twitter as well. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.